I'll be reading from Acts, the fourth chapter, 32 through 35. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the feet of the apostles, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was reading an article recently. It was about an engineering student. He had decided that he was going to set out to unring a bell. He was part of a contest, of course, for engineers, engineering students, about doing the impossible, figuring out how to do the impossible. I kind of rolled my eyes at this and thought, who would even think about unringing a bell? Why would that be a thing? But he was in this contest, and after a lot of work, he actually discovered a way, supposedly, to unring a bell. It had something to do with, kind of lost me in the article, it had something to do with sound waves and and stopping one sound wave canceling out the other. But in essence, he discovered how to unring a bell. So as I was reading this article, I thought, now, that would be a neat trick. Because there are a lot of times that I can think of that I would like to unring a bell. I would like to unknow something. For instance, driving up to a fast food place and seeing all the calories in that hamburger, I would like to unknow that. But once you know it, you can't unknow it. And then there are times when I desperately, desperately want to unring that bell. When I want to go back to that blessed moment when I didn't know. Desperately, because I knew that that information was going to change me forever. And I wondered if the disciples had moments like that. So we've read this morning that the last remnant of doubt was taken from, taken from them about just who Jesus was. Now, while they're following Jesus, I'm sure they had their ups and downs. There were days when they heard about those miracles and they heard Jesus speak and they knew who he was. And then there were days recently for them when they watched what happened to our Lord. And they had to wonder if what they knew was right. But now, after the resurrection, they were witnesses to the risen Christ. There is no turning back on what they knew. And so, they stood together as one. And the whole community shifted because the people acknowledged who Jesus was. We know the community accepted the apostles' authority because they brought their possessions to the apostles to be distributed. And the apostles came together. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They testified with boldness. 
They took authority as believers. And most of all, they accepted the responsibility to be the new community of the resurrected Christ. We are provided salvation only by God's grace. And in the knowledge of that gift, we began to truly know ourselves as God's people. But we try constantly, we Christians, to ignore what we don't want to know. Sometimes we want to unring that bell. Maybe that's what was happening with Thomas. He said he wanted proof. He wanted to know that this was Jesus. And he was withholding that belief until he had proof. But the truth is, even when we have that proof, when we know what it means to follow Jesus, we still spend our time looking for loopholes when we are called to be and do something uncomfortable. We are Easter people, we Christians. And at no time is it more obvious than in this time after Easter Sunday. After weeks of living in the Lenten journey, of reflecting on our mortality and our sinfulness, we get to rejoice in the knowledge that we've been given the gift of salvation. We rejoice because we finally understand there's nothing we can do to possibly earn it that we've been given that gift. Daniel Migliori, in his book, Faith Seeking Understanding, has summed up what happens to us as we come into relationship with God in three ways. First, we become aware of ourselves as being created in the image of God. Then we understand we have sinned and we've twisted that image. And then... It's a miracle. It dawns on us that we are forgiven because of Jesus. And once we have this knowledge, we are changed forever. I've been captured by Migliori's view of restored humanity. I've turned this over and over in my mind, considering what it means to each of us personally as well as corporately. I know that this new life in Christ is more than just living a good life and being nice to other people. I know that's what the world tells us being a Christian is all about, being nice and doing good things. But we know it's much more than that. We're called to love people who do unlovable things. We're called to share the gospel with everyone. That's not always easy for everybody. We're called to be truthful about our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, so that others will see our struggles. And this part is really hard because the world tells us to be beautiful and strong and perfect. We constantly compare ourselves and our lives to others. We want other people to think we're perfect. But knowing about the resurrection changes everything. Our relationships with God, others, and how we see ourselves. Imagine what a life lived with this new knowledge would and should mean to us personally and to the world. So I'm going to give us a chance as we're here together 
for us to imagine what it would be like to live as Easter people with this understanding. I'm going to start with me. With this new view of myself as being created in the image of God, I would have to make choices day by day that honored myself as a child of God. As the beloved of God, I would have to be gentle with myself when I make mistakes. That means, for me, sitting up in the middle of the night, filled with anxiety over what I said or what I did, what I wore, I would have to let that go. I'm not going to try to live up to a warped expectation of myself. All of a sudden, I would get it. God loves me. God made me in God's image. I have value just as I am. Then that means that we have to remember that everybody, each of us, has a claim. We have to claim the best for ourselves. So that means that we deserve relationships that are respectful and honor the fact that we're created in God's image. As God's beloved, it is simply not acceptable to live with being bullied or harassed or abused or diminished in any way. We have to treat ourselves and expect to be treated as God would treat us. Since we're now viewing ourselves through God's eyes, any doubt that lingers about being important or deserving would be removed. And even more difficult, we, once we've decided that we are deserving, we have to be bold enough to seek change. And I know that this is a lot easier said than done. But remember, you are God's beloved. With renewed life in Christ, we'll have to look at others differently too. It wouldn't be enough just to reach out to others with a sense of duty. Not nearly enough to what God has called us to do as the Easter people. Now we understand God has called us to really love one another. See value in other people. Regardless of intellectual, physical ability, economic or social standing, our race, our belief, our culture. This means that we have to know others and understand their struggles as well as their gifts. This is messy. It's not something we want to do because we don't want to take the time. We don't really want to see that mess. It means that we would have to try to understand others' perspectives, to be respectful of opinions that are not our own. It means that we wouldn't disagree with anger when someone doesn't agree with what we say. It means that we would not shut people out of our lives because we don't agree with things like their politics or choose to associate only with people who believe the same way we do. Instead of spending our time trying to convince others that our opinions are right, we would spend our time trying to convince them that they are loved by God. It also means that we have to accept others' gifts of ministry toward us. We have to share our burdens, allow them to share our burdens, and to help us and support us when we're struggling. As a church, 
being accepting of others would take the place of judging whether or not others are worthy. We as the church must stand for those who are marginalized by society. That means being disdainful or rude, impatient or demeaning would be intolerable to us. And this is the really hard part. We would have to stand up, speak up, and say it is wrong, even to our loved ones and friends. And if all that isn't uncomfortable enough with this renewed life in Christ, our relationship with God looks different too. On this side of Easter Sunday, I know that God is constantly seeking relationship with me. I have proof of it in the actions of Jesus. God gave everything for my salvation. So my definition of following Christ will be more than dutifully attending church services every week. That is no longer enough. Now I know God seeks all of me, not just a little time on Sunday. God wants my full attention. God seeks my entire being. Worship is about remembering what God has done and is doing for us. We are here to praise God with our whole being. This knowledge can be really inconvenient. It often requires that we really feel uncomfortable giving more of ourselves than we want to. But being Easter people doesn't mean and isn't about a comfortable and good life. The phrase unring a bell is an idiom with an interesting history. The earliest use of it is recorded in the Oregon Supreme Court case of State versus Raider, argued on May 9, 1912. That's the earliest recorded use. A judge instructed the jury to ignore evidence that had been presented. He told them to unring that bell. And this started a tradition of the phrase being used as a way to tell the jury to ignore what they knew. But of course, we understand that something of such magnitude as the fact that Jesus died for us is something that we just can't ignore. This type of knowledge affects who we are and how we choose to act. That engineering student might have figured out how to stop the sound of the bell once rung, but he didn't really unring that bell. Once our bell has been rung, we know it in our hearts. We just have to decide how it will change us.